1: Welcome to the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. What's up, everybody?
2: I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is the one and only Craig Mabbitt of Escape the Fate. We talk about a few things in this interview, but the two big topics are, number one, Twitch. He's one of the people who has kind of hopped on the Twitch program in the past year or so, having a ton of success there. And We talk a little bit about how that's changed his life, how it's probably going to change the music industry. So if you're into streaming, check that out. The second part that we talk about is sobriety. He's about a year sober now. You probably know him, uh, if you're familiar with the band, for being kind of a party animal, at least having that kind of reputation. But I'm happy to report that he is almost a year sober now. We talk about how he did it, kind of what initially made him realize that he needed to make some changes. And What's kind of enabled him to stay on the program? So that's something I care about a lot. Really good conversation there. And I think you will enjoy that if that's something that you or someone you know has also struggled with. Before we get into that, there's a couple things that you can do to support the show if you would like to. Number one, you can share it on social media. That does a lot for us because the platforms really don't do much to expose it to a new audience. So that helps us a lot. Number two, you can buy some merch. I've got quite a few new merch items up in the store that I think are pretty cool. So you can check those out at the link in the show notes if you would like. Or number three, you can support us on Patreon. That really helps a lot. That's how we pay for the show. So thank you to everyone who supports on Patreon. If you want to do that, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. But first, before we get into that, let's do a little bit of Q&A from Dan Rao. What's your take on monthly listeners on Spotify as a measure of success? I've seen you use it before, but a single song played by a single person makes that number tick up. So if a butt rock band is popular, is on a popular playlist, they could have a monthly listener count of one million, but could not really matter to most people hearing it. This is a great question. And so basically the question here is like, how do we judge success in regards to, you know, music but any kind of creator in general because it's there's no one way to look at it I think. You know, for example, like with movies, you could point to how much money Transformers made at the box office, but I don't think any of us are going to say that that means Transformers are great movies cuz you know, they're not. I mean, does anybody think those are fantastic movies? Probably not, but are they successful? Well, I mean, maybe, but does that mean that every person who worked on that movie, you know, participated in that financial success? Probably not. You know, did they, on the other hand, there's there's movies like, I don't know, all the Wes Anderson movies that, you know, didn't make nearly as much money as Transformers, but probably had a lot more cultural influence. Like, I mean, my friend's dog is named after a character in The Life Aquatic. You know, I don't think anyone's naming their kids after some random character in a Transformers movie, right? So, you know, there's multiple different ways you can look at it. Personally, I use that one as the go-to measure of success because it's just kind of, I suppose, because it's easy and it reflects at this moment how much of our potential, like to me, attention is the scarce commodity here, even more so than money these days. It's people's attention because, music or any kind of any creator is fundamentally competing for the share of attention that they are able to command with their audience because whether you make videos or podcasts or music or you know i don't know whatever paintings you are competing with every single thing that that person could be doing with their time whether that is playing video games watching netflix you know Fucking OnlyFans, whatever. There's a million things they could be doing with their time. What you need to do is convince them that your thing is worth their time more so than the other things that they could be doing. And so to me, monthly listeners on Spotify measures how many people this month chose to spend their scarce resource of time and attention consuming this music. But to your point, you know, it's not quite that simple because there are people, you know, you point you made a great example of this here, like bands like Trapped that might have 2 million monthly listeners because their one popular song from 2001 is still on these playlists that people listen to. Does that mean that Trapped is a successful band? I wouldn't really say so, you know. Because they don't have any cultural influence, they don't even think they make that much money when they play shows. So it is not that simple. But on the other hand, you know, you could say the same thing about ticket sales. You know, like Chief Keef played the same venue as Converge. Does that mean that Chief Keef and Converge are equally successful? I wouldn't say so. I mean, his streaming numbers like destroy theirs. Uh, on the other hand you know I, and I, and you could say well converge is more influential well i don't know if that's true chief Keefe is pretty influential in his own way too i mean he kind of is responsible, I would say more so than anyone else for kicking off like the drill wave of whatever it was, 2012 or whenever that song came out. So, you know, I think it's all in how you look at it. Depends who you are too. Like managers care a lot about ticket sales because they get paid a percentage of those. Whereas like they typically don't make very much off of streaming. So if you ask a band manager, the thing they're going to care about is ticket sales. But if you ask the label, they're going to care more about streams because they don't get paid a percentage of ticket sales. So it depends who you ask. Me as a fan, what I personally am most interested in is how much attention is this artist able to command at this particular moment in time. And monthly listeners on Spotify to me are the easiest way to measure that. So that's why I use it. But Uh, I think your point uh, is correct that it's not quite that simple. With that out of the way, let's get into this episode. Craig Mabbitt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I know you got a lot going on, so I appreciate you making time for this. Uh, I saw you were on stream earlier today. How was that treating you?
0: Twitch has been such a blessing, especially during all this COVID stuff. It's been great, man. It's an amazing community. Uh, Made a lot of friends and yeah there's no other words it's just amazing
2: yeah did you start doing that like last year or so or start taking it seriously around then or am i imagining things
0: i did so like in the beginning i guess you could say a couple years back my kids were obsessed with watching people not necessarily on twitch but youtube you know they'd watch people make youtube videos of a game and as a parent and growing up with video games i always didn't understand it i said you know I just bought you this game. You you can play the game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I want to watch Ninja do it.
0: Yeah. And so eventually, like through my PlayStation, I found myself starting to watch people play games because it might be a game that I was interested in and I wanted to check out the gameplay. And Sony had this setup where if you were thinking about a game, they had links to people that were currently live at the bottom. So I started to watch some people on Twitch. I decided to make one and I would just go live straight from my PlayStation. And there'd be no camera, really crappy audio, and I would just see people commenting, hey, what's up, dude? How you doing? Had no idea what it could be until uh, COVID happened, and it was my birthday, and I got my first PC I ever got, and I'm like, I got all the time in the world to really figure this out, and I can't believe how much it's grown just in a year's
2: yeah, I mean I think that was sort of the the breakout year for Twitch in general but especially for musicians getting into Twitch. I mean, there's so many people that I'm sure we both know that kind of I think had the same kind of discovery as you did like, "Oh, this is a thing and it's pretty awesome."
0: Yeah, definitely, man. Like Twitch is already an amazing community by itself and then you have all these musicians that started joining Twitch because of the COVID thing and it's like its own little community within a community and you know, we all jump on and play games together. And, you know, you have all these fans that can't attend shows and they get to hang out with us, you know, from my end of things, literally on a daily basis. I go live pretty much every morning and every evening.
2: Do you have like a, a, a rigid schedule like some people do? Or do you kind of like do it day by day? Or how do you, how do you plan that?
0: I try doing like a rigid schedule in the beginning. It got a little stressful. You know, I need to be yeah. live at this time. So I pretty much have a rough schedule. I mean, I'm live every morning around 9 a.m. And then I go live in the evening around like 9 p.m. And it'll change. And, you know, over time, I I started to Discord. And so I just post in Discord. Hey, guys, running a little behind today. I'll be live in about an hour. And, you know, it's cool. Everybody's always there. and We're always hanging out. It's just a good time.
2: So how big of a deal is Twitch for you now in terms of like, I guess, just your life and your career, you know, like how, do, how how is that going to change once you can start touring again? Do you think?
0: So once, once it started becoming more than just a, a, a thing to help pass the time and communicate with people and kind of get out of your own head and it became something lucrative. I was like, I want to keep this going once, once music opens back up. And I talked to a uh, Twitch contact and apparently there's something called a Twitch backpack. Oh yeah. And you carry it around and you get, amazing Wi-Fi anywhere in the world. That's good enough to stream from. So
2: I think Matt Heafy has one, right?
0: Yeah. So I've seen a couple people that have it. I know Ronnie Radke has one and he's been building like a PC inside of a road case. One of the dudes from a day to remember streams. And I heard he's building one inside of a road case. So now, you know, as we get closer to the end of this thing and start talking about shows happening, that's my next step is, is starting to build a mobile rig so I can bring it out with me on the road and it's just an amazing thing, man. Cause like you said, he wanted to talk about a few things during this interview and Twitch has been so good to me at home. And now it's, it's going to enable me to stick with it and, do something while i'm out there on the road surrounded by temptation and stuff so right yeah that's a big one it's been it's been such a blessing man
2: how wild is it that you know twitch has gone from this thing where you're like oh well i'll just and not just you i mean all the people you mentioned like oh well i'll just do this until we can start playing shows again to like well hang on i gotta find a way to work this like we gotta we gotta stick with this
0: oh yeah it's it's like i have two separate careers now you know
2: yeah i think it's so cool you know not just for you know artists but for fans too because you know meet and greets are awesome but you know it's like i don't know i think they're a little bit awkward and i know a lot of artists do too and you know it costs money and maybe and they got to you know pay for a ticket and they got to you know be able to get there and if people have disabilities that's a problem and it's like a cooler meet and greet because you you're actually hanging out in a like authentic kind of way and everybody has access and it's probably more fun for the artists and i just think it's such a cool dynamic
0: it definitely is and that's that's what me and you know people on my channel we always talk about it's like the meet and greets you always have security at the venue standing there they're trying to get people through like maybe the band has to be on stage in 30 minutes or the band just got off stage and they're trying to you know shower up or something like that and it's like a quick handshake and a photo and you try to talk with people but
2: you just can't
0: you can't i've tried hanging around extra long and chatting with people after the meet and greets and eventually security's just kicking them out kicking me out (laughs) yeah and it's it's the end of the line but
2: and you hate for anybody to have a bad experience and feel like oh craig didn't have time for me and you know that stuff sucks
0: yeah now i'm just like sitting in the comfort of my home in front of a camera playing a video game and we'll play games together and it's like a massively long daily Q&A session. And, you know, you get that day by day by day. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of these people are friends now. Yeah. You know, and we're all looking forward to shows coming back on on a more personal level now, you know.
2: Yeah, I think I'm interested to see how this translates into, I guess, ticket sales, for lack of a better word, you know, because I feel like people like you and other people have invested so much in in your relationships with your fan base over the past year that that's got to make a difference. I mean, for one, everyone wants shows to be back, but even so, it's just like people know you even more now and they feel like they have even more of a relationship with you. And I think that's going to help shows a
0: lot. Oh, I think so. You know, if if you've been hanging out with somebody every day online for a year and they're finally coming to play a show in your town, I don't think I don't think you're going to have a difficult time deciding what show you want to go to. And exactly. I've been thinking about that same thing. And then, you know, my drummer's also on Twitch. And I had this funny thought. I'm like, I wonder what the merch setup is going to look like moving forward. Like, are we going to have Twitch shirts? It's a good question. <laughs> going out at bands merch tables like, hey, I'm the guy in the band that streams on Twitch. Pick up pick up the Twitch stuff at the merch table, you know, it's going to be really funny to see it moving forward or, Or, you know, if you're if you're doing a tour with multiple other artists and a bunch of you are on Twitch and you're all carried around that Twitch backpack like.
2: Oh, dude, there's going to be so many collabs and stuff. It's going to be really cool.
0: Yeah, it's going to be like the backstage area is going to look like (laughs) packs or something. you know
2: Yeah. Do you remember when they had because I'm pretty sure Escape the Fate was on it this year when they had uh, YouTubers on Warped Tour for the first time? Yeah, I remember seeing that. I think it was 2014. And the lines for the YouTubers were longer than any band.
0: Yep. I remember seeing that and I remember being young and naive and not really getting it. And now I get it. And it's one of those things that I wish I could go back and, Hey man, what's your name?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do yeah. something
0: together. I'll do an interview with you. Let's go.
2: Well, I think what this kind of shows to me, I didn't make this up, but it's really smart. So I'll, I'll take credit for it. All right. I heard someone say a while ago, the artist is the product not the music and to me that's kind of what this reveals
0: it does it's kind of funny you bring that up that's something i've always struggled with is i've never i've never been that guy like i've always wanted the music to be the music and then like i'm just me like once i step off that stage i'm i'm just a dude you know i want the music to be bigger than the artist and we've had we've had label meetings in new york at the offices hey need to be more active on social need to do this need to do that I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm starting to feel like I'm selling myself here. And it's initially what I stood back from Twitch for so long for is I'm like, I don't want to put myself out there that much, but it is such a well-built, welcoming community for the most part, you know, and you're obviously going to get people on there that are just being douchebags like any other social media type platform. But the way Twitch is built, it just enables you to handle that on your end. And you create like this tight knit community of just positivity and and good time. It really does help
2: people. You know, you're bringing them joy. And I understand, like any decent person, I think, would be a little shy about making themselves the center of attention because you should. But you're bringing people joy and it's helping them. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, as long as you are in it for the right reasons, which is to, you know, create a community, like you said, a positive community for everyone. I, I think that's I think that's just a purely good thing.
0: Absolutely, man. It's just there's just so many, so many good things that come along with it. I mean, I could I could talk all day about it. You know, we were talking about those meet and greets and I remember people rushing. Can you write, can you write this lyric down on a piece of paper for me? Like really quick. Can you just write it and sign it? And on my channel I I do giveaways literally every day. Every Sunday is my pack up the giveaways day every monday morning i go to the post office they like know me by my first name now (laughs) and i'm sending out like handwritten lyric sheets and i'm like proud of those because those started off just on a piece of paper but now i'm like watermarking the paper and laminating it (laughs) adding these little badges on it and stuff so i don't know man it's just there's there's so many good things about it i'm so grateful
2: i mean that's people that stuff means a lot to people for sure so I had a couple of kind of specific questions for you. It looked today like you were streaming on PlayStation. Am I right?
0: Yeah. So I I stayed up all night the night that PS fives went live, like refreshing Target, Walmart, Costco, GameStop, like everywhere that was selling that thing. And I finally got I got to the portion of a page on Target that it gave you an order number, but it wasn't letting like it wasn't accepting my payment. So then I just Took that order number to Target as soon as they opened at eight AM and said, "I have an order number. I want to pay for this." And then I literally buckled up the PlayStation <laughs> in my car and drove it home like a little baby.
2: Put a helmet on it and the car seat and yeah. everything. Maybe you should have called nine one one and gotten like a police escort, like when there's a funeral. <laughs> I need
0: an escort home,
2: fellas. I got a PS five. Yep. Oh no, no problem, Mister Mabbitt. We got gotcha.
0: you. <laughs> yeah, I've always been a console player, and like I was saying earlier, I, I just got my first PC. In April of last year, and so I I just play on that. I played a lot of PC games. Like I've upgraded the pre-built PC that I got, and I just I just need to sit down one of these days and really focus on getting used to keyboard and mouse because that's I I understand the whole PC master race. I get it. I get it.
2: PC gaming is the best. I've done PC and console and stuff my whole life, and. PC gaming really just is the best the games are the best like the experience is the best you know once you get used to kind of the you know there's more like fiddly kind of bullshit you have to deal with than on a console but it's just the selection of games to me is the big one there's just so many more games on PC.
0: Oh, absolutely! Like I'm obsessed with my Steam account now.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to start doing Twitch soon. I would love to uh, hear any advice you might have for me, and uh, to kind of prepare for that, I've started asking people to add me on Steam, which I don't really see a lot of people doing. But I feel like you know, gaming is such a huge and powerful community of its own that if you can kind of find that overlap of people who are into music and gaming, like that's going to be a super dedicated community
0: oh for sure and that that's something that's been talked about for years is hey how how can we get music more involved in you know gaming or how can we get our song on this game i remember one of the warp tours guitar hero was out on warp tour and we had our song and guitar here. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. We're gonna get involved in the gaming industry. I love video games. I had some buddies that they still have the company, HK Army, they're like really big in the paintball scene.
2: Oh yeah, I've seen that.
0: Some of them branched off and started a company called MetaThreads. And I remember going to like one of the first conventions they went to and now MetaThreads is like huge in the gaming world. And I'm like, maybe this is my connect. <laughs> and then COVID happened. And now there's countless musicians on the platform having the greatest time and I'm, I'm just excited to see where it goes for everybody in the future moving forward
2: yeah well one thing you mentioned there that uh, i thought was interesting and we could maybe switch gears a little bit um you said you were talking about being out on the road around temptation and how twitch might be an answer for that uh i was just stalking your instagram getting ready for this and it, it looks like you're coming up on uh, one year of sobriety is that right
0: yeah april april 8th will be my one-year sobriety date.
2: Congratulations. Thank I you very thought much. you had gotten sober before. Am I right? Or did you have a little bit of a slip? Or what happened there?
0: I've done little stints here and there. Like, I'm not going to drink this tour. Like, once I get out on tour, I'm not going to drink this tour. And, you know, in the past 14 years of touring, I think I did one successful tour where I didn't have a single, a single drink. You know, and then that turned into, I'm just not going to drink as much on this tour. Yeah. Or I'm just, I'm not going to start drinking until after I've played the show or just, you know, all that stuff. What I've learned in the last year is just your ego getting in the way
2: works for some people, not for everybody.
0: Yeah. It works for some man. I'm, I'm just allergic to it. I have no off button, you know, and then I'm just, I don't even know who I am anymore. And it felt good to not feel feelings, but it just increasingly got crazier. The more where the, where the hell was I last night? What the hell happened last night? How did I, how am I waking up in the tour bus this morning alive?
2: Uh, yeah, that's scary.
0: That got old.
2: Yeah. Well, in a way, then I would imagine that having a year away from that is probably a really good thing for you.
0: Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, it also adds a lot of anxiety to the anxiety I've already had my entire life. But I'm like, well, am I going to be strong enough to stick with it when I get out there? And, you know, I think about the Twitch thing. I'm like, man, I'm going to be looking forward to get to the venue and go inside and set up my gaming rig and hop on live. Like, like I'm at home.
2: And, you know, you'll feel, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would guess that you'll also feel accountable to all your Twitch friends, too.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: You know, they they know that you're going through this and they've got your back. And, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just like going to meetings. If you know that you've got hundreds of people that sort of have your back and support you and are also kind of holding you accountable to this thing, you know, that's a big help.
0: Absolutely. 100%.
2: Well, I don't really have a problem with drugs or alcohol uh, anymore. I used to, not in the sense of like that I was an addict. I just partied too hard and I didn't really have too much of a hard time quitting but my mom was in AA and my bunch of my family and stuff did time for drugs and all that stuff so I I've been around it enough and obviously being in music and stuff and this is one of my big sort of I don't know if complaints is the word cuz it's not really a complaint it's more like one of the things I really dislike about music is how much like substance abuse there is just sort of embedded in the culture. And it sounds like you're kind of on the same page as far as like, it's almost, I feel like you can't get away from it.
0: You can, but but you can't. You know, everybody's story is different. and Everybody's perspective is different and everybody has an opinion and all that stuff. And I, I had a lot of issues in my life before I got out on the road for the first time. And I already had kind of a problem before I did my first tour. And then when I joined Escape the Fate, it was like, it was kind of expected of us. You know, I remember being told by people on the label we were on at the time and management. It's like, all right, you guys are the Las Vegas bad boys and right motley crew this and sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I kind of just threw myself into it. And when you're young and not even 21 and overseas, and it's like, oh, I can drink at 18 years old over here. Cool. You know, it's it might be fun at first, but it very quickly very quickly changed from like a choice to something I needed to do to just not feel like I was dying. Right. You know, and it's just the constant like shame and confusion and anxiety. And it was just like, I always compared it to that movie Click with Adam Sandler, but instead of a remote control, it was just a bottle.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm laughing because it's, it's just so true, you know, not because it's funny. But yeah, it's like, to me, it's like, there's this um, fear of fear of the future and like shame and bad memories about the past, and it's like the only way. Sometimes it feels like the only way to just be in the future and re- or be in the present and relieve the burden of those two things is just to get wasted.
0: Yeah, or or to finally make the decision to get clean and just know that you're cleaning your side of the street and you know know that. Everybody in life has feelings like that. And you're only making things worse by being selfish in the way of, I'm just going to, you know, forget that I even exist right now. And when you're doing, when you're acting like that and you're doing that, you're dragging others down with you. Not only the people that you love and are close to, or, you know, in in my case, you know, my kids, I always like, I I would get home and I would, I wouldn't drink around my kids. And then I'd get out on the road and I would just go ham. And I'm like, whatever, I'm going to see him in a month. I'll be home in a month. And it's so selfish. You know, there'd be days where I forgot to call them because I didn't even know I was alive or (laughs) things like that. And, you know, it it was dragging on the band and dragging on on fans and mainly dragging on myself. So, I mean, a a global pandemic is never a good thing, but When I look at it from a different aspect, it's there's a huge silver lining there for me personally,
2: you know, it served as a reset button for good and bad. And there, you know, obviously, I feel for anybody who, you know, lost their job or got sick or, you know, God forbid died or anything from it. So I say this with all due respect and sympathy to them. But for a lot of things, I think it was a reset to help us get out of kind of just destructive or you know, unhealthy patterns that we just needed to be like slapped in the face and just hit the reset.
0: Yeah, I, I think the exact same thing. And like you said, I, f- I feel a little guilty seeing a lot of good that came out of it because obviously it's it's a bad thing that happened. No, nobody should ever hope for a global pandemic, but you know, it was a major reset button for sure
1: at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void book prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians.
2: And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. It's really unfortunate that you mentioned that you were like encouraged to drink by your team. What I see a lot of is, I guess I would say, and, I mean, that's past being an enabler. That's like an encourager. But there's so much uh, enabling going on of people, you know, kind of looking the other way. Uh, I don't know. Did you see the little Peep documentary by any chance?
0: I didn't see the little peep one, but I'll tell my fiance about it because she's been putting on this 6ix9ine documentary every night. And <laughs> I've seen it like four or five times because she keeps falling asleep. uh uh-huh. <laughs> like you're putting this on again the peep one is good the peep one's good
2: yeah you know it might be hard for you to watch i don't know how you feel about this kind of thing but essentially um there were a lot of people around it was like very clear i remember you know because i've been around addicts my whole life you know i mean like my stepsister died of an od and stuff and as soon as i fucking saw him i was like this kid is going to be dead or in prison in a year and then i woke up one morning to a text from one of my friends saying that he died you know, that night. And I was like, man, I knew it. And I wondered, like, did the people around him see this too? And he watched the movie and they clearly did. I mean, people were worried about him. He was like, so fucked up. He like was just standing on stage, like not singing, just standing there, like obviously about to nod out.
0: Yeah. But if you're, if you're up on that stage and you're the cash cow and people are exactly. collecting, collecting around you, you know, it reminds me of even the Whitney Houston documentary. You know, people are looking down on you, but also at the same time, counting on you, taking from you. And it's just exactly. such a crappy position to be in.
2: It's really sick. And, you know, and and at the same time, you know, he was putting it, he, he felt, I think like he had to keep doing it because he was putting his friends on and, you know, there were people that relied on him that he cared about and stuff. And I wonder, as someone, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time and you're in a good place now. What do you think is the answer to that? Like, let's say if you're in the industry and you see someone like that, that's clearly in a bad fucking place and nobody's telling them, you know, nobody's trying to help them. What should you
0: do? You should change the way that you're being selfish. You know, I called the way I was reacting selfish because I was burying all my my feelings into a bottle. But be selfish in a more positive way, because there's there's countless times where, you know, I have a week off from a tour and we have another tour coming up. And I'm like, I I, I need some me time, like I need a mental break. I need to get some of these problems under control or I, I need to spend some time with my kids, something everybody just wants to take. Oh, this is a great opportunity for you guys. We cannot miss this tour. You guys aren't going to make any money if you don't get out there on the tour. And, you know, like I said, I always I always attempted to do sober tours. But, you know, even then you're kind of getting looks by the people that are wondering, oh, is he is he going to go out and party tonight? You get bored and you get anxious and, and frantic and I'll go out there and try to watch one of the other bands that are on the tour. And somebody will just hand me a drink, you know, I'll be at the back watching the show. Hey, man, got a shot for you. Oh, no. Oh, come on, man.
1: And it's just
0: you know it's just that easy. It's that easy. And then you take the first one. Oh man, can I get you another one? And what you got to realize is when it comes to fans of the show, like they're there to have a good time. They're at home. They're living their life. Like this was the night they were looking forward to going out. Sure. And so they're going balls to the wall. But I mean, for you, it's just rinse and repeat. It's like I'm I'm going to do this again tomorrow, and then I'm not going to feel good, and I'm going to have another drink to wake up in the morning, and then even if I don't. Like I, I, guys, I feel like I can't physically perform tonight. Well, we can't cancel. Right. It's like all right, chug a chug a chug. Just a vicious cycle, man.
2: So let's say you're a manager or a booking agent or someone like that that you know makes their living off of a an artist, and and they can tell that that artist is in the spot you're describing, and no one else is saying, hey, maybe we should cancel the show or cancel the tour. What? What advice would you have for that person that's like, man, I, I, I'm worried about this artist, but I'm also worried about you know being the one that says we should cancel the tour?
0: Well, you got to make that tough decision. And I think, I think at least both of us on this interview know what decision that is. And it's take, take the loss. Because if you don't take that loss financially, or if you think people are going to be mad, or maybe you're doing a show with another artist, they're like, oh, that motherfucker dropped off the show. Whatever it may be, just use a little peep thing as an example. There's not going to be any more shows to yeah. promote or perform or anything if you don't start caring about the health of the person that's getting up on that stage.
2: And it feels like it feels like we've learned from that, you know, but then every time every time this happens, I say that and and then everyone forgets and goes back to normal, I guess. But I do feel like people understand addiction and mental health better than they did certainly like 15 or 20 years ago like nobody was thinking about this stuff at least not that I knew. Do you agree with that and like or is this still kind of in the early stages?
0: No I, I definitely agree with it. I think we're we're finally as a as humanity as a whole I think we're starting to realize a lot of our negative tendencies you know what I mean and you know that could turn into a whole separate discussion of maybe people are being a little too crazy about certain subjects. yeah, but subjects that need to be talked about. You know, and, you know, a lot of the times it's because somebody's been trying to bring attention to a subject for so long that once there's finally attention brought to it, it's just, ah, it's like somebody that's burying their feelings and they're letting everything bottle up and they finally get the floor and they're just going to let you have it, you know, (laughs) so.
2: You're like, all right, buddy, pump the brakes. I hear you, but let's just. (laughs)
0: yeah exactly but we're we're definitely getting better and better and better
2: yeah it feels like fans understand this too well i guess what was the conversation you know you guys always were such a party band was there a conversation that you guys consciously had of like hey we need to kind of make some changes here or tell me tell me about that to the extent that you can or want to
0: i think so i mean i've had a conversation about it with with robert who i've been with from the very beginning you know, even on our, I am human album when I wrote that song. And I mean, I I wrote that song just by myself in a room drowning myself in a bottle because for years I knew I needed some help. And
2: so you you were in that bad of a spot, even that recently.
0: Oh yeah. I decided April 8th was my sober date because I had tried cold Turkey again. I mean, I got in an argument with my fiance because I was drinking on like a Monday. I know it was a Monday, like a hundred percent fact. No, it was a Monday. And, I thought we were still in the same argument and she goes, do you even know what day it is? And it was like Saturday.
2: (laughs) Oh fuck man, dude,
0: that that's dark. And I'm like, this is too much. I'm not even on tour right now. Yeah. This is too, this is too much. And I tried quitting cold Turkey and I was up for four days straight and it was like the fifth night and I couldn't get to sleep. And like, I was going absolutely nuts. Like Sure. There's people you hear about on Dateline that are like, "Oh, I was hearing voices. I was straight up hearing voices. They were coming out of my cable box, telling me how much of a piece of shit I was, and I should just off myself." And I I thought it was so real. I called the cops that night, and they came over to the house, and they had to ask me, "Sir, are you on any drugs or alcohol? Because we're not hearing anything."
2: <laughs> like no, but like,
0: <laughs> no. How do how are you not hearing that? And that's when I realized, man. I I woke up the next day. I called my manager. I'm like, I need to go somewhere. Like I need to go to a detox facility. And I ended up in some establishment that just had a big room full of lazy boys. And all these guys were like detoxing off of drugs. And I I got out of there the next day and it was April 8th. And I'm like, ne- never again, I can't do it. I'm going to end up dead. I'm going to end up in jail. I'm like I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm going to hurt myself. Like this is not this is not who I am. Like, I'm not that person. I have a good moral compass and I, I just need to stop.
2: So that was your moment of clarity.
0: That was. I mean, when, when you're in the throes of that addiction, man, I, I could tell you a bunch of other moments where you'd think, and you stop drinking after that, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. well, well, no, no, I didn't. But man, when I, was, when I was in that room by myself and like literally all these guys are detoxing off of drugs, and I'm still pacing back and forth like these two male nurses had to come over and I don't even know what they gave me, but they gave me a shot in my right arm and a shot in my left arm to help me get to sleep. And when I, when my body finally passed out and I woke up that next day, I, I'm like, never again, man. How many, how many more moments like this can I live with before it's just the end of the line, you know?
2: Yeah, the worst that ever happened to me was uh, I stayed up for, I don't remember, four or five days doing speed. Then I finally fell asleep and then I woke up thinking that there was like, guys from the army in my room who are like interrogating me and were going to kill me and I mean it seemed like they were as real as you know like they were standing right in front of me and then something happened and I realized that I was hallucinating and I was like oh shit I just fucking hallucinated that I was you know going to get murdered by these like army operative guys like this is how people end up in a standoff with the cops
0: yeah it it dude it distorts your reality so fucking much like it really really does. It's there's so many times where I thought I was having conversations with people or I'd wake up and be like, yeah, that dude I met last night was pretty cool <laughs> and they're like, what dude? you were you were literally just sitting on a bench like talking to your shoe like what do, what guy are you talking about? I'm like the guy uh, the guy I met last night like we have no idea what you're talking about, man. you know and then that's that goes into where was I? what was I doing? I, I wasn't talking to anybody. It feels like I was feels like I was hanging out with somebody. I guess I wasn't. And you're trying to like fill the gaps with memories that never even happened. It's just, I couldn't do it anymore, man. I was literally going insane.
2: So there's kind of the anxiety about going on tour. What about the creative process? I mean, that would be like, I used to, I don't know, write blah, 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 whatever. I used to do some stuff and I was worried that I wouldn't be creative anymore unless I was basically unhappy. Have you had any concerns about that?
0: Kind of, sorta, you know. Especially when it comes to writing with a skate, because we've been like that party band, and yeah. Or the fans gonna hate the new music because it's a little too cheesy and positive and right. Not like fuck the world and let's party anymore. And I just had to. I had to tell myself. I'm like, if people don't like the music anymore because I'm not singing about sex, drugs, rock and roll, then then they're not gonna like the music anymore. And I talk so about that in AA too. You know, it's like, hey, there's going to be people in your life, people that you're really close with that just are not going to be able to be a part of your life anymore. If you really yep. want to take sobriety seriously, they're just not going to be able to be part of your life. They're not going to get it. They might be an enabler without knowing they are. And to stay on that path, you need, you need to be selfish. You need to focus on yourself. So I'm like, you know what? I've never wanted to let my fans down, but I, I need to, if I want to be around 10 years from now. This is what I need to focus on. And as an artist, you got the fans that just want to. Every record of ours, I'm always singing about what happened in my life from the last record to this one, you know. And you can kind of you can kind of hear it. So it's just a continuation of the story, I guess, in a much more positive light.
2: Well, you know, I bet there's a lot of your fans who are going through similar stuff. Or you know, your fan base now is not you know 19 year olds anymore. It's like adults with real lives and problems and trying, you know, it's like they're, they're grown up now, I think. And I, I bet there's, uh, you know, you'll lose some people, but I bet the people who stay, it's going to mean even more to them than anything else you've done.
0: Oh, absolutely. And they, you know, that, that goes both ways. Like the fans inspire me still to this day. I, even before I got sober, I had somebody, you know, trying to slide into my DMS to tell me that, Hey, you're the reason I decided to get sober. Thank you so much you know, it was just somebody random at a show that, and I was still drinking, but I saw that they had way too much and they were clearly upset. And it was like a 10 minute conversation. But from that 10 minute conversation, they decided to just put the bottle down. And I'm like, wow, that's so great. I need to start helping myself out in that same way. (laughs) It's always
2: easier to tell other people what to do, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like what's, what's that Will Smith movie Hitch? Yeah, He's yeah. Like really good at giving advice but not taking it.
2: Right. Well, what what advice would you have for somebody who, you know, I, I think people I think people know the truth. They don't want to admit it to themselves. But I think people who have a problem know that they have a problem, for the most part. What advice would you have for someone who is hearing that nagging voice in the back of their head, being like, "Dude, you gotta quit." but they're not sure what to do or they're scared. What advice would you have for that person?
0: Just, you gotta, you gotta focus on the next 24 hours because immediately you're gonna wake up and feel better about yourself. I mean, at least that's how it worked for me. You know, when I woke up that first day and I knew I was waking up because I, and I knew when I went to sleep and where I went to sleep and how I went to sleep, I immediately was like, this feels a lot better. And, you know, you get, you get those anxious feelings and, and, oh my God, I want to feel better. And just one drink, I'm going to feel better, but you just focus on that next day. And pretty soon those days turn into months and now coming up for me a year, and it does get a little easier. And you'll talk to people that truly understand, because I think with those feelings of shame, especially people that are dealing with addiction of any kind, it just, it it seems like whatever, you know? I'm already in it. I'm just going to, everybody hates yeah. me anyway.
2: I'm a piece of shit. So I might as well act like a piece of shit.
0: Exactly. But nobody feels as much shame or hates you as much as you're clearly hating yourself. And once you start making those positive changes, people are going to notice whether they tell you they're noticing it or not, they're going to notice the difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, even for me, my dogs seem like, every day they seem like they haven't seen me for a year. It's like, they just want to shower me with love and they won't get off of me. And I'm like, maybe, maybe they're just extra lovey lately. But for me, I'm like, no, I got sober a year ago. I'm probably not moping around the house being a piece of shit anymore. And now they want, they, you know, they want pets and kisses. And, you know, even my kids, they come and see me every summer, every Christmas. And this year, dad, we have a, we have a week for spring break. Can we come and see you for that week? I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely you can. And even that, I'm like, oh my God, they want to be around me more. They did yeah. they never told me they didn't want to be around me or anything, but that's my perspective on the matter.
2: Yep. I remember I used to like kind of laugh because whenever I would go anywhere, I would like magically end up in a conversation with some like criminal. You know, like if if I was at a party or whatever, I would somehow find myself in a conversation with somebody who would like kind of tell me, like, oh, well, you know, actually, I got out of the joint a year ago for armed robbery or something. And I was like, how do I attract, like, why do I always attract these people? And, you know, the answer is because I was, you know, putting out that kind of energy. And now those kind of people basically don't even notice that I exist. And I'm not putting them down or judging them or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it, it's exactly what you said. You just sort of notice, like, oh, the world is treating me differently because I'm exuding a different kind of energy.
0: Exactly.
2: And I think that's a good sign of like, Oh, those people don't even <laughs> now I'm like invisible to these people. That's cool. I feel a little bit better about this.
0: Yeah. And you, you should feel good about being invisible to, <laughs> to those people, you know?
2: Yes, but still, you know, I don't want to get judgmental and, you know, I, I hope that whatever's causing them to live that way that they're able to get help with it because, you know, I, I, I do understand. I understand why they are the way that they are. I just can't be around it, you know?
0: Yeah, and, you know, that's that's the sticky side. That's gotten me in... I have such a hard time saying no and that's gotten me in trouble so many times in the past.
2: As far as, like, when people offer you stuff or...
0: Or just anything, but yeah, yeah. The simplest, the simplest way to describe that would be, yeah, somebody offering me something. Well,
2: there's a lot of pressure on you as a, you know, as a public figure, and especially like the front man of a band. You know that someone offers you a shot, you don't want to be rude. A fan, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. I never want to be rude. I've I've always been like the guy that wants to make sure everybody's having the best time possible. You know, if we were if we were having a party, I'd, can I get you something? Can I get you another drink? Are you doing good? What's up? Until, you know, everybody's, in my opinion, shaking their heads and leaving because I'm passed out.
2: <laughs> right. And <laughs> notice that you posted about, uh, I don't know if it was AA or another 12-step program, but what has your experience been with that? Because, you know, some people, some people really love 12-step programs. Other people hate them. I went, to, I went to a lot of them with my mom when I was a kid because we couldn't afford a babysitter. So I'm pretty familiar with them. I, I like them. But what made you take that
0: direction? So what made me take that direction was my my brother-in-law is like over 30 years sober now and it's 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 really worked for him obviously and with any with any problems that you have in your life just sitting down just talking about it to begin with makes you feel better but talking about it with someone that truly understands is a whole other whole other animal and it makes you mm-hmm. feel heaps better so that's what really got me involved and and for now just my AA Zoom calls have been helping me a lot. And I know for me, I, if I'm going to get involved in something, I really want to get involved, but I also want to feel comfortable. So, as far as the actual steps of the program go, I haven't started working the steps yet because I want to be with someone face to face. You know, I've talked to two or three different guys, you know, asking for sponsorship, but they have the same recommendation. Like, as soon as COVID's over, I would love to be your sponsor so we can get face to face. Maybe for now, find somebody local. And I'm like, I don't want to go find some random guy. So for now, it's just literally every day Twitch, AA call, Twitch today, Zack Snyder Justice League, Twitch, <laughs> AA, and it's been it's been going really well.
2: Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That's really encouraging. And hopefully people listening will hear the same, you know, that even, uh, even notorious party animal, Craig Mabbitt, you know, can, uh, can turn it around and turn into G rated Twitch, Craig Mabbitt. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, anything else, uh, you want to add or mention before I let you go?
0: Thank you so much for having me, man. I had a good time talking to you and, you know, thank you to whoever's listening to the interview and Follow me on Twitch, and new ETF album coming out April 16th.
2: Excellent. I'll be excited. Take care. Thanks. All right, brother. You too.
0: All right, my friends. That does
2: it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again,
1: thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.